Hello and welcome to the Allen and Overy podcast. My name is Rose Hall and today I'm here in Luxembourg to talk about tax. I'm joined by Patrick Michaud, a partner in the tax team, and also by Johanna Churchenthaler, a senior associate also in the tax team. So today we are talking about ATAD2 and its impact on the fund industry. ATAD2 is a European directive from 2017, also referred to as the Second Anti-Tax Avoidance Directive. The rules it provides for specifically tackle hybrid mismatches. The directive is complementary to the ATAD1 Directive, the first anti-tax avoidance directive, as this already contained a set of more general anti-abuse provisions. These directives were adopted as an EU response to the OECD's action plan against base erosion and profit shifting, with the aim of harmonising certain rules within the EU. ATAD2 needed to be implemented into domestic law by all EU member states before the 1st of January 2020. This has been done in Luxembourg and in many other countries, such as France, the Netherlands and Italy. Some other countries are, on the other hand, still in the process of implementing ATAD2. So, Patrick, what is ATAD2 actually trying to tackle? That's a good question, Rose. ATAD2 tries to tackle hybrid mismatches arising in a cross-border context. So let's take an example, a typical lending transaction. On one hand side, you have the lender. On the other hand side, you have the borrower, which receives a loan. So the borrower is typically paying interest to the lender. From a tax perspective, you have an interest expense at level of the borrower on one hand side, and you have a you know, taxable income at the level of the lender on the other hand side. However, there might be situations where you have a deduction of the interest at the level of the borrower, but no inclusion of such interest in the tax base of the lender. That's a hybrid mismatch. And ATAD's primary response to such hybrid mismatch is basically to limit the deduction of the interest at the level of the borrowing company. This, of course, might have negative consequences for the borrowing company. It would typically increase its tax base. So I understand that what you've described is a mismatch, but why do we call that a hybrid mismatch? Johanna? Well, there are actually different forms of hybridity. For example, a hybrid entity. So you might probably ask now what a hybrid entity is. Let's just say this is a specific tax concept, which is important for ATA2. A hybrid entity is an entity which is treated differently for tax purposes in two or more countries. So for instance, an entity might be treated as a tax transparent entity in its country of origin. And this means that the income it realizes is directly allocated to its shareholders. And ultimately, no taxation occurs at the level of the entity because of this tax transparency concept. However, from the perspective of the, of the shareholders, which might be resident in another country, the entity might itself be considered as a taxpayer. So from their perspective, any income realized by the entity is allocated to that entity for tax purposes. And in practice, this means that no taxation would occur at the level of the members either. So, Joanna, does that mean that there would actually be no taxation, neither at the level of the entity nor at the level of the shareholders? Exactly. Okay. So, if I've understood correctly, the issue is that the rules determining which entity is a taxpayer and which entity isn't a taxpayer differ from one country to another. Is that correct, Patrick? Absolutely. It is key to understand that each country applies different rules when it comes to qualifying an entity for tax purposes. So either as a taxpayer or as a tax transparent entity. In Luxembourg, for instance, 
The tax qualification of a foreign entity is based on the comparability test. Here, we would take into account the corporate law features of an entity when we qualify an entity for tax purposes. But in the US, for instance, they don't have the same method. They would have an elective approach when it comes to qualifying a foreign entity, which means that you can choose the tax qualification of an entity. These are the so-called famous check-the-box rules. At the end of the day, hybrid mismatches necessarily arise from the lack of harmonization in this field, and ATA2 was clearly designed as a response to this, at least at EU level. So, Johanna, in what context do the ATA2 rules apply? The ATA2 rules mainly apply in a group context, so between related entities. And the definition of related entities requires that uh, certain thresholds are met in terms of voting rights, capital or rights to profits. And it depends on the applicable anti-hybrid rules because there are various rules, but the threshold can either be 25% or 50%. And it's important to keep in mind that the threshold may be reached directly or indirectly. So for instance, if a shareholder holds a participation in a company via a tax transparent entity. Understood. So now the question on everybody's mind will be, will ATAD2 impact alternative investment funds and their managers? Patrick, what's your view on that? Well, Rose, uh, there's no black or white answer to that question, unfortunately. It very much depends on the corporate form of the fund. Alternative investment funds are often structured as partnerships. A partnership is indeed a commonly used tool that provides a great deal of flexibility to govern the relationship between the investors or limited partners in the fund on the one hand side and the manager or the GP on the other hand side. So let's focus a minute uh, on the Luxembourg partnership, which is the typical form used to set up funds. The partnership would be tax transparent in accordance with Luxembourg tax law. If investors in the fund would consider the partnership as a taxpayer, then the fund would actually qualify as a hybrid entity under ATET 2. In turn, this may then trigger the application of some of the anti-hybrid rules. So the fund itself would be a hybrid entity? Yes, absolutely. That's right. So, Johanna, turning to you again, when would the rules apply in a fund context? Yes, so basically some of these rules can actually affect the taxation of the European company, if such a company is held by the fund directly, or also at the level of the fund itself. And if we take the first scenario, so a fund investing into a European company, let's take the example, this is actually often the case, of a fund granting a loan to its company, to its European company. And the interest on the loan would typically be deductible, tax deductible at the level of the borrowing company, which would, for instance, be a Luxembourg company. But if the fund is set up as a partnership and is therefore treated as tax transparent in its country of origin, the interest income under the loan wouldn't be included at the level of the entity. And if such interest is also not included at the level of the investors, because they would treat the fund or the partnership as a taxpayer, then we would be in the scenario of a deduction on one hand without a corresponding inclusion of the income at the level of the entity or the shareholders. But it's important to, to mention that this is just one example of uh, application of the anti-hybrid rule. There, there are actually different rules. And as I mentioned, some of these rules may also affect the taxation of the fund itself. And these are the so-called reverse hybrid mismatch rules. 
So if the fund is tax transparent in its country of origin and is therefore not subject to corporate income tax, as a result of the application of some of these rules, the fund would actually become a taxpayer in its country of origin. So it would lose his position or its status of a tax transparent entity. And uh, as mentioned, these rules would especially be triggered if the investors, the shareholders of the fund would consider the fund as a taxpayer. So does this mean that the rules apply each time there is a hybrid entity or there is no inclusion at the level of investors? Patrick, maybe you could pick that one up. Well, actually, they, they would not know. Uh, well, I can give you some examples. The rules would only apply if the investors were considered as a related entity of the fund or of the borrowing company. As explained before, that would only be the case if certain thresholds in terms of voting rights, capital or rights to profits were met. We would expect that in most cases where alternative investment funds are widely held, the investors should not be considered as a related entity of the fund or of the borrowing company. Let's take another example. Uh, institutional investors investing into AVES very often benefit from a tax exemption. That's, for instance, typically the case for pension funds or sovereign funds. As a result, they would never include any income in their tax base as they don't have a tax base as a matter of fact. This is important because the non-inclusion resulting from the tax exempt status of the investor would actually not fall within the scope of the anti-hybrid rules under ATR 2. Coming back to the so-called reverse hybrid mismatch rules uh, referred to by Johanna before, uh, which affect the taxation of the fund itself, a special carve-out for investment funds is provided for by ATAT 2. Admittedly, it comes with a number of conditions that might not always be fulfilled, and it also very much depends on the investment strategy of the fund. So it might in particular be difficult for funds not investing into securities, like for instance funds running a real estate or an infrastructure strategy, to comply with these conditions. Thanks, Patrick. And, and what's it looking like in the market? How are managers coping with this new set of rules, Johanna? Well, I would say managers are now carefully reviewing their existing fund structures, and trying to understand whether there are any hybridities within their structure and which might trigger the application of ATA2. And in, in a private equity context, this is also highly relevant for their portfolio companies. And as for new fund projects, uh, the key aspect now is, is really to monitor whether investors would introduce such a hybridity into the structure. For instance, because they would consider the fund which is set up as a partnership as a taxpayer, at least from their perspective. And also it is it's really key to understand if these investors could or might be considered as related entities. So I can imagine that ATAD2 is now a key factor when it comes to structuring funds. Is that the case, Patrick? You're fully right, uh, Rose. Absolutely. Some managers now consider corporate forms other than partnerships for their next generation of funds, either as master or feeder vehicles. In Luxembourg context, they do, for instance, consider using a partnership limited by shares, a so-called Société en Commandite par Action, which is a tax pay company under Luxembourg tax law, rather than using a Luxembourg limited partnership. This actually allows to mitigate the risk under ATAT 2. But the rules will apply on an EU-wide basis. Well, that of course creates an additional challenge for the managers, as different EU member states might end up applying the rules in a slightly different fashion. Interpretation of the rules may indeed not always be exactly the same in all the member states. 
It will, for instance, be interesting to see how the various member states will construe the concept of related entity under ATAR 2. Well, Rose, as you see, there are a number of gray zones when it comes to ATAR 2. It is key to closely monitor any developments in this field and to think beyond tomorrow. We know that there's more to come and more to explore, so stay tuned. Patrick, Johanna, thank you very much indeed.